Welcome to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I'm your host, Certified Religious Transition and Trauma Recovery Coach, Terry Hales. I help people step out of the shadows of religious fear and shame and embrace their authentic selves with love and empathy. If you're ready to throw off the shackles of learned binary thinking and explore a more nuanced approach to life, this is your playground. I know what I want to do. I just don't want to disappoint anyone. Those were the words I heard come out of my mouth as I sat in my therapist's office trying to work through clinical depression, trying to make the changes I would need to make in my life so I could be mentally and emotionally healthy. I mean, I instinctively knew I needed to say no more often. I needed boundaries, although I didn't know they were called boundaries. I even knew instinctively what I needed to remove from my list of responsibilities. I knew the things I hated and didn't want to do anymore. I knew what was draining me. I knew what I was complaining about to my husband every night. I knew these things. But I was terrified that someone would be disappointed in the process. Can you relate? This week's episode of the Emancipate Your Mind podcast is about the fear of disappointing others. And the longer I coach people through religious transition and through religious trauma, the more convinced I am this is a universal experience, whether you're 20 or 80. My clients have spanned generations of people, and this is a fundamental fear I think we all have when we are breaking free from high-demand systems. We don't want to disappoint anyone. We've been taught to be good little children that don't disappoint authority figures and don't disappoint the rest of the group. And when we begin to deconstruct, when we begin to unravel the indoctrination and we begin to really find who we are, this is one of the most difficult things to face. Because as we evolve, as we change, as we grow, and all of that is required in order for us to heal and to rediscover who we truly are underneath all of the indoctrination, to live our biggest, boldest, most fulfilling lives requires us to continue to learn and grow and change. And every time we learn and grow and change, there is the potential to disappoint someone, someone who's used to our old way of doing things, our old way of believing, our old way of acting, our old way of connecting. So this is a very big topic. And maybe you feel like I did in the chair 12 years ago and how I still feel sometimes now. I still hear that dialogue in my head that says, I don't want to disappoint anyone. In this episode today, we're going to talk about some hard truths, and we're also going to talk about how we can begin to work through that fear of disappointing others, how to stay connected, to continue to be able to take feedback, and how not to let it bog us down. So 
let's dig in with our first hard truth. The first hard truth I had to accept as I was sitting in that chair 12 years ago in front of my therapist was that I am not for everyone. And that actually knowing that is freeing. I want you to sit with yourself for a minute in a very honest way. Do you like every single person you've ever met? Your boss, your child's teacher, some of the parents in the playgroup, people at church. Can you honestly say you really like every person you've ever met? No? Guess what? You're not alone. All of us have people that we're drawn to, people that really resonate with us, people that either inspire us or help us feel at home and secure, people that we love being around for one reason or another. And we all have people that annoy the hell out of us or just rub us in the wrong way and get under our skin. Sometimes there are just personalities that we don't get along with well. And that's okay. It doesn't mean they're bad or you're bad. It just means you don't play well together. We all have different tastes and preferences, different life experiences, different expectations. There is no one-size-fits-all person, place, or thing that is going to appeal to everyone. Just as an example, chocolate. I love chocolate. Chocolate. You all know this about me if you've been listening to the podcast for any amount of time. I love chocolate. And yet, one of my best friends is allergic to chocolate. Even chocolate can't please everyone. Even chocolate disappoints some people. It makes sense that you will not be able to please everyone. There are some people that just will not get you or that you will get under their skin, or you might annoy them, not because of who you are, that's so often we take that on ourselves, but because of how their system reacts to who you are. Chocolate is not bad. Lots of people love chocolate, and yet my friend can't handle chocolate and has learned to really dislike chocolate and anything that smells like chocolate. So when someone doesn't like me, and I haven't done anything rude or amoral that I'm aware of, I recognize that in this instance, maybe I'm chocolate. There are people who love me to death. And there are people that I am just not the flavor for them. And that gets to be okay. Now let's talk about why that's freeing. When we realize that there are people who just won't like us, we won't be their favorite person, no matter what we do. No matter how much we morph or transform, that person is just not going to like us. When we understand that, it frees up so much energy for us to invest in our relationship with ourselves. When we gather back in all of that energy we're expending on trying to read the room, figure out what people likely want from us, when we try to mind read, right? And then we try to shape shift into who they want us to be. That is so much energy. And not only is it so much energy, the more we engage in that kind of behavior of trying to assess what you probably want from me and then become that person so I don't disappoint you, 
we lose bits and pieces of ourselves. We have to detach from us and what we want, what we desire, what we believe, what we value. We have to detach from that in order to please other people. And we lose bits and pieces of ourselves. We lose touch with our identity, with our intuition. We're giving it away to people around us, trying to please them and hopefully in return have them validate our existence, have them validate that we're worthy. And I want you to think about this. How often do you actually get the validation that you need? And how long does it last? If you do get the validation, does that last you for months? Or is it just like an hour, maybe a day, and then you need that hit of validation again? It's an exhausting cycle that ultimately leaves us feeling detached and disembodied from who we actually are. It leaves us feeling worse about ourselves and more in need of that hit from other people. But when we reverse that cycle, when we look first and spend our energy first on checking in with what do I want? What do I need? What are my values? And is this in alignment with my values? What do I believe? Is this in alignment with my beliefs? How do I want to live? How do I want to show up? When we spend more of our energy turned towards those questions, We not only get to know ourselves better, we feel more rooted and grounded into our own inner authority. What's going to happen is we carry this person, the person you are, we carry this around with us every single day. This person is there no matter what other relationships we're engaging in. We are always with us. When we validate ourselves, When we worry about our approval first, that approval goes with us everywhere and it lasts much longer and we need fewer hits of it. When we turn first to getting to know ourselves and figuring out what we want and what we need, what we value and what we believe, when we make sure we're rooted in what's most important to us, that lasts so much longer than a quick hit from anyone else. Even if that person is close to us, even if it's a parent or a spouse, because they are not us, because they don't live inside our body, inside our brain, inside our heart, the hits of validation we get from others can only ever be fleeting. And that makes us need to continue to go back for future hits of validation. So, When we understand that there are going to be some people who don't like us no matter what, and when we understand that we can't please everybody, it frees up energy for us to look inward and really root into living by our own moral compass, living by our own inner authority, validating ourselves, making sure that we like who we are, that we have our own approval. And then we carry that confidence out into the world. And here's what's so cool. When we go out into the world that way, when someone disapproves of us, it's not as scary. Because I know how to hold my big feelings. I know how to care for those. I know how to work through them. 
And I now have the energy to do that because that's where the majority of my energy is directed, is to caring for my big feelings, validating myself, holding myself accountable if that's what's necessary. And it really does make the risk of disappointing others feel so much lighter because I don't need them to validate me. If they do validate me, it still feels good, but it's not something I need to survive. The bulk of my validation comes from inside of me first. And everything else is icing on the cake or the cherry on top. It's that little bit of extra, that nice to have, but not I need to have it. So when we understand that no matter how hard we try, we won't be for everyone, it gives us the chance to quit trying to be everything for everyone. And that allows us to really root into our own sense of worthiness that we will carry everywhere, including into our relationships with others. And it's just going to make the relationships with those who want to be in our lives so much more healthy and secure. The second hard truth I had to accept sitting in that chair was that there is no way to live without disappointing someone. And I don't even just mean like living happily. I mean, there is no way to live at all without disappointing someone. Now, let me explain what I mean. There are a couple of different options I myself have lived. The first option was the path of the chameleon or the shapeshifter. So if you choose this quite anguishing path, you're always trying to figure out which version of you each person you meet would like best so that you can present yourself that way. And you end up detaching from and disappointing yourself when you do this. If I have to be a different person and I have to worry about pleasing you, think about how often we disappoint ourselves. Like just take a moment, pause if you need to. When was the last time you shapeshifted or became a chameleon Or lived in such a way to make other people like you. Or at least not be disappointed with you, right? Where you felt like you were letting yourself down. Living that way. Or being that way. Just give yourself a minute to think about it. What did that feel like for you? And did that feeling go with you? long after the encounter was over. Those are times to get curious with yourself. Why do I feel like it's okay to disappoint me? What am I telling myself? What am I hoping will happen? What outcome am I trying to get? Now, the crazy thing is, is the more we shapeshift, not only do we disappoint ourselves, we also end up disappointing the people in our life who crave real intimacy with us. So this approach of being the chameleon or the shapeshifter works really well with acquaintances and people that we're meeting for the first time because there's that certain amount of distance. People don't really know us. It's that first impression thing. But the closer we get to people, the more this approach will become problematic because We can't get vulnerable with others. 
it might even lead us to cut off relationships before people can get too close so that they can't see the cracks in our facade. One of the problems with being a shapeshifter is also sometimes you forget which version of yourself you're supposed to be with each person. And it becomes especially problematic whenever you are a different version of yourself with two different people. Have any of you ever been in that uncomfortable position? This would often happen when my worlds would collide. You know, you might have friends from a secular part of your life and then like friends from a religious part of your life. And if you are a chameleon, when those friend groups meet and you're in the middle, you can feel like you don't know who to be because you're usually this one kind of person with your church friends and you're usually this other kind of person with your secular friends. And it feels like you're being pulled in two different directions because you are two different people and you're not sure which one is you. So you might find yourself just feeling really confused or like you don't know who to be in that situation. So this can be confusing for our friends and it can be confusing for our parents and for us. It's confusing for everyone involved. But what it does do is it leaves those that are close to us feeling like they don't know us at all. And it leaves us feeling vulnerable, like we've just exposed a part of ourselves that we don't want other people to see. And so we can have a tendency when we're shapeshifters or chameleons of really disappointing others by breaking off relationships because we feel too exposed. We feel like people are going to be able to see the cracks in our facade. So we break up with them before they can break up with us. So just know if you're a shapeshifter that sometimes relationships get really difficult because you may find yourself morphing into different people and you might feel unsafe letting people get too close to see the inner landscape and you might not even know what your inner landscape is anymore because you're so disembodied. So that's the first option for disappointing someone. Like if you choose to try to please everybody else, you usually end up disappointing yourself. Now the second path is a path that I've started living more recently, which is the path of living true to myself. On this path, I choose to live in a way that I don't disappoint myself, and I live by my own standards and my own values, but that also means that sometimes other people will be disappointed. My values, my standards are going to be different from other people's, so I'm not always going to meet other people's expectations. Understand that someone is going to be disappointed. And it's not a question of, will I disappoint someone, but who am I willing to disappoint? Am I willing to disappoint myself, the person I have to live with 24 hours a day, 365 days a year for the rest of my life? Do I want to break trust with the person I cannot escape? Or am I going to choose to disappoint myself in hopes for fleeting pieces of validation from people outside of me? Now, next week, we will be talking about people who are closer to us because it's more difficult when the people outside of ourselves are our parents, particularly if we've had codependent relationships with them or our spouses. But in general, if we're doing this with friends, with bosses, with strangers on the street, recognize that disappointing them is fleeting. But disappointing yourself, that's with you all the time. And that's true even with parents and spouses. Your parents nor your spouse is with you 24-7 now that you're an adult. 
They may be a regular part of your life, which is what makes disappointing them more difficult, but you are with yourself constantly. And when we disappoint ourselves, that's also part of the reason we disembody because living with that disappointment, it feels pretty terrible inside of ourselves. So we find ways to numb. We find ways to detach from those feelings of pain so that we don't have to live with them. So understand our big choices. There will be people who are disappointed, but we have to choose who we're willing to disappoint. All right, the third hard truth is being yourself, even when it disappoints others, is actually more likely to give you the acceptance you actually crave underneath all the people-pleasing. So think about why we people-please. We try not to disappoint others because we want them to accept us. We want them to validate us. We want them to love us, right? We want them to tell us that we're wonderful and we're worthwhile and we're enough. But when we shapeshift, like we talked about earlier, people don't actually really get to know you. So even when they do love you and validate you and accept you, there's a part of you that understands they are loving and accepting and validating the role you play with them. They are loving and accepting and validating the mask, not you. And so it actually increases your feelings of insecurity because you're wondering the whole time, will they love me? Because they don't know me. I'm so worried about not disappointing them. I'm so worried about making them proud. I'm so worried about making them like me that they actually have never really gotten to know me. And so it separates us. It makes us feel more alone and less accepted whenever we try so hard not to disappoint others, when we try so hard to be liked. Now contrast that to living true to yourself, listening to your own inner wisdom, making choices that won't disappoint you. Remember, someone's going to be disappointed whenever we make those choices. It will likely drive some people away when you decide to live true to yourself, but it will also magnetize the people to you who can best love you and accept you exactly as you are. So this past week, I watched Bridget Jones' diary for the first time unedited. I had watched an edited version and man, they took out a lot of the movie when I watched the edited version, but... I watched this unedited version, and one of my favorite parts is when her friends continue over dinner to say, you know, to Bridget Jones, and we love her just as she is, and how much that had meant to her when Mark Darcy had said, I like you just as you are. And her friend was like, what? Not younger or thinner, or he loved her just as she was, and how much that meant, like how meaningful it was to be able to be all of yourself, the good and the ridiculous, the quirky, the crazy, the forgetful, the fun. You got to be all of it and be loved exactly as you are. And you could tell that her friends loved her exactly as she was, even making blue soup and really disgusting food for them all to eat, even running out into the street in her underwear. Her friends loved her 
exactly as she was, and they were so happy for her that she had found someone who had professed that he loved her exactly as she is. That is the power of choosing not to disappoint ourselves. We attract those kind of people into our lives because they know what they're getting. They know about the crazy. They know about the inconsistencies. They know about the paradox. They have gotten to see the real you. And granted, we don't just throw it out there. This is not trauma bonding, right? We don't broadcast this out everywhere to people who haven't earned it, but we give pieces of ourselves, authentic pieces of ourselves to people that we're building relationships with to see if they can handle it. We say, okay, here's another quirky bit of me. Love me or leave me, it's okay. I'm not for everyone, but can you handle this? If you can't, that's okay. I'll care for myself. I'll hold myself. It's like Brene Brown says, people earn the right for us to be vulnerable with them. So when we make a new acquaintance, we're not going to tell them our whole life story. That is oversharing, and it's actually another protective mechanism. That's not healthy, but we share a little bit and see how people handle it. And if they can accept it and love that part of us, if they can hold it in a way that helps us feel safe and helps us feel like we're seen and heard and valued, then we can give another little piece. And that is how we build relationships, those little pieces at a time, until we create those kinds of relationships where people can love us just as we are, even with our darkness, with our shadow, with our trauma, our inconsistency, our paradox, even in that uncertain place between I'm no longer whatever that identity was when we were part of the high demand religion. I'm not that person anymore, but I don't know who I'm becoming. The safe people in our lives can handle that uncertainty. They can handle us saying, I don't know. I don't know who I am right now. I'm figuring things out trying to figure out what's going on, they can handle that. They grow with us. They hold space for us to figure things out. They don't try to jump in and save us. It doesn't send them into an uncertain space because they needed us to be the rock. They hold us with empathy and they say, that's okay. I'm here. While you figure things out, I'm holding space for you. I'll take all the versions of you while you figure out where you're going to land. There's a song by Ben Platt that I just love right now called Grow As We Go. And it makes me cry every time I hear it. In fact, right now I have tears running down my face as I'm thinking about it. It really helped me figure out what I want from safe relationships in my life. And some of these lyrics are so beautiful. He says, You say there's so much you don't know. You need to go and find yourself. You say you'd rather be alone because you think you won't find it tied to someone else. Ooh, who said it's true that the growing only happens on your own? They don't know me and you. I don't think you have to leave if to change is what you need. You can change right next to me. When you're high, I'll take the lows. You can ebb and I can flow. And we'll take it slow and grow as we go and grow as we go. You won't be the only one 
I am unfinished. I've got so much left to learn. I don't know. Sorry, I'm crying. I don't know how this river runs, but I'd like the company through every twist and turn. You don't ever have to leave. If to change is what you need, you can change right next to me. We're all going to grow and change. There's going to be uncertain space. And we may be worried about being rejected or disappointing others. But as we're able to show up in ways that don't disappoint us, we're going to attract these kinds of people into our lives that can hold space for us and love us and grow with us as we go. The ones who will say, look, I don't know where you're going to land. I don't know what you're evolving into, but I want to be part of that journey. And I'm here to learn with you and to accept the pieces as they reveal themselves. I'm here to figure it out with you. You don't have to leave. I don't want to go. We'll grow together and we'll figure out what's healthy for both of us. I just want to know you. And I want you to know me. I want safe space for both of us to evolve. It was just such a beautiful example to me of secure attachment. That we can be uncertain. We can grow. We can change. And because I'm not here to control you and you're not here to control me, I'm just here to get to know you and to learn as much as I can about you. I just want good things for you. I want you to be happy and I want to be a part of that happiness. I want to celebrate with you and I want to mourn with you. It's just beautiful to me. Now I'm like a big wet mess over here. Oh my gosh, I wasn't even planning on sharing that song. But it's one that's allowed me to move a lot of deep wounds. I move to it. I play it and I sway to it and I cry to it. I hold my heart and I comfort my inner child to it. And I reparent myself to that song because that's what I want. It's what I desire for myself. It's what my husband has given to me. It's what we're creating in our family is this idea of you're going to change, you're going to grow, you're going to evolve. And this is safe space. This is a place where you get to figure out who you are. You don't have to worry about disappointing us. We just want you to discover what feels good to you and we want to celebrate that with you. And if we ever feel disappointed, because sometimes we will, right? Sometimes our expectations are not met. We're going to care for that. Our disappointment is ours to care for. And if it's affecting our relationship in some way, we can sit together and come to a place where we understand each other, where we both feel safe. I'm telling you, find yourself a song that expresses what you're wanting to create and allow yourself to move to it and to grieve with it and to hold yourself through it and to reparent your child. Listen to it over and over again. It works like an affirmation. Ben Platt, if you ever hear this, just know I just want to hug you because first of all, I think you're adorable. But second of all, you've spoken to this piece of me that is still healing, that 
is having to grieve the decades where it didn't feel safe to just show up as me or to freely discover how to live in a way where I didn't disappoint myself. I can't recommend that song enough. It's called Grow As We Go by Ben Platt. It's amazing. And if you ever watch the music video, oh my gosh, so good. So good. So just know that as we learn to live authentically, as we learn to root into our own values and standards for making choices, as we learn to be true to ourselves, yeah, there are going to be people who will be disappointed, but we will magnetize people to us that can love us fiercely as we are. And that is going to feed our self-worth so much deeper than any of the fleeting praise we might get from people who only know our facade. There's a Glennon Doyle quote I put on my Instagram this past week, and it's from her book Untamed, which I also love. Mine is fully marked up. I just got her workbook uh, this past Christmas, and I've been working through that as well. Glennon is another person that really speaks deeply to me. She says, I just told myself, I am a grown-ass woman, and I know what I want, and I do what I want. Those who disapprove will come around or quit coming around. Either way, lovely. I want you to know that not only do we get more of that deeply nourishing love and validation from ourselves first, but then people that we really feel safe with second but we also create greater peace in our life because the people who can't handle us will sort themselves out. They're either going to figure out, oh my gosh, I miss this person in my life and I've got to sort my crap out so that I can be a part of their life again. They're either going to come around or they're going to decide that they can't come around anymore. And it's going to relieve you of that anguish of having them in your life but demanding that you be different. And that is going to create more peace after the grieving. Because if this is a person you were close to, you'll have to grieve first. But then after, it creates more peace. And remember, as we're diverting more of our energy away from trying to please other people and towards really getting to know ourselves and validating ourselves, we can better hold our grief. Our grief doesn't feel as overwhelming because we know we can handle it. We are better able to identify our emotions and care for our emotions. Now, I want to be clear. I am not proposing what many people out there in the social media world are proposing, which is, I don't care what other people think of me. I actually don't think that that's healthy to completely quit caring what other people think of us. Brene Brown says, when we stop caring what people think, we lose our capacity for connection. When we become defined by what people think, we lose our willingness to be vulnerable. If we dismiss all the criticism, we lose out on important feedback. But if we subject ourselves to the hatefulness, our spirit gets crushed. It's a tightrope. Shame resilience is the balance bar. And the safety net below is the one or two people in our lives who can help us reality check the criticism and cynicism. This is from her book, Daring Greatly. It was one of the first books I read after I was sitting in that chair 12 years ago. 
because there was a big part of me that just wanted to say, fine, I don't care what people think anymore. And I went from a place of anxious attachment, of codependency, of caring what everyone thought, of people pleasing, of perfecting. And I almost pendulum swung to the other side. I wanted to so badly go into avoidant behavior where I just shut everyone out, where I don't care what you think. The problem is, is when we pendulum swing from this place where we're caring what everyone thinks and we're trying really hard not to disappoint anyone and we're really codependent. I'm going to do everything I can to please you and in return, you're going to validate me. You're going to tell me I'm enough. You're going to accept me and you're going to love me. That's codependence. It's an anxious attachment sort of way of being in relationships. But We want sometimes, and we have this urge to pendulum swing to the opposite, which is avoidant attachment, where we don't let anyone in. We don't need people. They can just go take a hike. And we have a tendency to put up big walls around us and not let anyone in. And I see a lot of that out in the social media world of, you know, quit caring what other people think. But when we do that, we actually lose out on important feedback that can help us grow. So Kevin and I were talking about this earlier, and like all things, I see this on a spectrum. It's a spectrum between opening ourselves up to the opinions of others, the experience of others, the way they see things. That's what we want our parents to do, right? That's what we want our congregations to do. We want them to open up to our experience, We want them to hear our side of the story. We want them to be open to our feedback because we want relationships with them. And the only way we can have a relationship is if both parties feel seen, heard, and validated, right? So in order for us to connect, in order for us to be able to be vulnerable with each other, we have to be open to being able to share. But on the other side of the spectrum, we also need to be boundaried. I need to know what is me and what is you. What is my part that I can be accountable for? And what is your part that you must be accountable for? When I say accountable, I mean often in codependency, we feel like we can control other people's emotions or that we're responsible for fixing other people's emotions. Other people's emotions, their beliefs, the lens that they view the world through, That is 100% their responsibility. My responsibility is my emotions, my assumptions, my expectations, and my behavior. I am 100% responsible for that. When we can both come to the conversation where I know my part and you know your part, and we're able to say, look, I felt hurt when this happened but I'm 100% owning my hurt. My hurt is mine to work through. But I want to be close to you. So in order to do that, I open up and I say, hey, this is my experience. I felt hurt because this is how I interpreted that thing. Not you made me feel hurt because you did this thing to me, but I felt hurt because this is how I interpreted this. And they're able to say, yeah, with empathy, I would feel hurt too if that's what I thought happened. That makes sense to me. 
thank you so much for trusting me with that information. Here's how I experienced it. And they open up and they say, I felt scared whenever this thing happened because this is how I interpret this. The goal of these kinds of interactions is for us to understand each other better, not agree. And I think that's one of the big things that has really helped me navigate my relationships with people who are still believers, both in Christianity and in Mormonism. I have family members that are still evangelical Christians. I have family members who are still Mormon. Being able to model, let me hear your experience. What did you feel? And why did you feel that way? What was going through your head and what were you thinking? Help me understand you. And then here's how I felt because this is how I interpreted it. Has helped us to understand each other better. And also before we've gone into those conversations, being able to say, look, I want to understand you better. I might not agree at the end of this, and that's okay. The goal for me isn't agreement. The goal is for me to see and hear and accept you better. I want to know what it's like to be you. And I'm hoping at the end of this conversation, you'll know what it's like to be me. That way, whenever I see you and hear you, I have a better understanding of what's going on underneath the surface. And hopefully you will for me too. So that's what we're aiming for, is this mutual understanding. So we're trying to learn how to open up, but at the same time, understanding what's ours to take accountability for and what is not. And I think this is really how we walk this tightrope, where we're open to people's feedback, but then we check it against our inner knowing. We're able to come back and say, okay, This is how you feel about this. Now, let me check it with me. Is there something for me to learn here? Did I go against my own standards, values, and beliefs? Is this behavior I'm proud of or not proud of? We check it against our own inner knowing, and then we decide from there what we want to do with it. There have been times that I've had family members come back and say, you know, I feel this way because of this. And I've checked in and said, your feelings are valid. You get to feel that way. And I'm not going to do anything with this. I actually am really proud of how I'm showing up. I understand why it makes you uncomfortable. You're perfectly able to feel that way. And I'm glad you felt safe sharing it with me, but this is why I'm not changing. So do you understand That just because someone feels uncomfortable doesn't mean you have to change. Just because someone has been hurt doesn't mean that what you did was hurtful. Just because someone feels afraid doesn't mean that you need to change your behavior. Just because someone feels angry doesn't mean you have to change your behavior. I find that when I'm talking with people that I'm close to, if I can validate what they're feeling Let them know that it is okay for them to feel that. And I'm here to hold space for them to figure that out. And there might be times where people we love might have phobias or fears or shame or whatever. 
we can't be their therapist because we're going through our own trauma. Again, knowing those boundaries between what's theirs and what's ours and what we can handle and what we're willing to take on. So there have been times that I've said, no, that feeling is valid. And that's something to get curious with. I just can't be the person that walks you through that. I'm not in a space where I can objectively hear what you have to say about that right now. I really suggest you talk to someone that you trust or to a therapist because right now I'm healing and that's going to be detrimental to my healing. I'm so glad that you felt comfortable telling me that's how you feel. I'll still be here whenever you figure that out. I just can't be the person that figures that out with you because it feels personally damaging to me. So once you figure that out, I would love to have a conversation so that we can reconnect. But right now, I can't be the person that works through that with you because I'm too close to it. It hurts too much and I'm working on my side of it. Letting people know, like, I want you in my life and I can't be the person that helps you heal this part because it hurts too much for me. And that's going to be the case for a lot of our wounds that have to do with religious trauma. When we have family members that are in, they're going to need an objective third party where they can say exactly what they mean, exactly what they feel. I mean, I've done some primal screaming about things that have happened in my family of origin that would not have been appropriate for me to take to my mother. That would not have been appropriate for me to take to my grandparents, to just sit there and scream at them. That would not have been healthy for them. I needed to take that to a third party who walked me through it and allowed me to kind of scream out some of this trauma. And once I worked through some of my rage, some of my anger, some of my grief, I was able to objectively meet up with people in my life and constructively work through things because I had already cared for my emotions in that way. So just know where your boundaries are. What can you take on? What would be healthy for you? And what is something they need to work out on their own with a third party? In healthy relationships, we take 100% responsibility for our 50% of the relationship. We know where our boundaries are. We know what is ours to care for and what is theirs to care for. And it's going to be a little bit of a learning curve for those of us coming from codependent relationships because we're learning new skills. We're going to make mistakes. So it's just about catching those parts where maybe we did cross our boundaries, getting curious with it, reworking some things, and then trying again. So before we end this podcast, I don't want to just leave us with this. I want to talk about what we can do to start moving forward with healing. And this comes from Nick Wignall, which you will recognize his name from my podcast on perfectionism. He is an incredible psychologist. He talks about the fear of disappointing others or photo, a lot like FOMO, the fear of missing out. He says the only way to get over the fear of disappointing others is just like any other fear. You have to face it repeatedly and willingly. The only way to prove to your brain that the thing it's terrified of isn't actually dangerous is to expose yourself to it and all the fear that comes along with it. You want to get over your fear of disappointing others? You have to be willing to do the thing that might lead them to feeling disappointed. 
And so he then goes into five steps on how to do this. The first one is to count the costs. What is the cost of trying to be all things to all people or never saying no? And I want you to remember, someone is going to be disappointed, whether it's them or you, someone is going to be disappointed. You are someone. What are the emotional costs to your fear of disappointing others and continuing to avoid facing that fear? I want you to think down the road. If you have something on your mind that you're wanting to do, but you're afraid of disappointing others, think down the road five years, 10 years, 50 years. How will that affect you if you continue to please others versus pleasing yourself? How is that going to affect you if you don't do the thing that you're thinking about doing? How is that going to affect you mentally, emotionally, even physically, because the body keeps the score? What might happen? Sometimes I think we put other people first because we think down the road it's going to get better. And then we start getting really resentful and angry when it doesn't get better. That's part of the reason I think that when we're in our childhood, pleasing others doesn't feel like such a big deal. It didn't feel as traumatic. It gets a little more traumatic in our 20s, a little bit more in our 30s. Some of my clients that are in their 60s and 70s are asking, why is this such a big deal? Why am I so upset about this? Well, it's because when you were in your 20s, you had all this life ahead of you and you were hoping it would get better. But now you're in your 60s and 70s and you're still trying to please your 80, 90-year-old parents. Yeah, of course you're upset because you don't see it getting better ever. Something has to change. So think of yourself. If I keep doing what I'm doing, and I make it all the way to the end of my life, how is that going to have affected me? If I even let it go on for another year, how is that going to affect me? It's really going to help us get clear on the cost of disappointing ourselves. And usually those costs are much larger than we think they are in the moment. When we allow ourselves to really take into account, if this cumulatively goes on for another year or a lifetime, how big that cost is. And knowing the price tag can sometimes give us the gumption to choose ourselves, to choose to live true to who we are over worrying about disappointing others. The second thing is to remember you're not responsible for other people's emotions. You are responsible for your actions, your emotions, your beliefs, the lens through which you're seeing the world, the stories you're telling yourself but you are not responsible for those things in another person. That's theirs to deal with. Only take 100% responsibility for your part. And remember, it might take some practice, particularly when we're coming from codependent relationships. The third thing, reframe your fear as uncomfortable, not dangerous. No matter how afraid you feel, your fear can't hurt you. No matter how nervous you feel, nervousness itself cannot hurt you. Even panic itself is not dangerous. Just because something feels bad doesn't mean it's bad. To get over the fear of disappointing others, you're going to have to willingly feel afraid and tolerate that feeling for a while. 
recognize that your feelings may be highly uncomfortable and you may have been taught that they're dangerous. But remind yourself, my feelings cannot hurt me. The fourth thing that Nick Wignall suggests is to start small and work your way up. So how can you begin to practice honesty in a way that allows you to test the waters and build up your tolerance to the discomfort? Remember earlier we were talking about testing to see who could handle our true self. Could you give them a little piece and see how they handle it? And then can you give a little more if they handle it well? Not only does this allow you to gauge which people you're safe with, it also allows you to build up tolerance to disappointing other people. Because sometimes you're going to give people a little piece of you and they won't tolerate it well and they won't accept it very well. So we get to practice disappointing others and we also get to practice working through the fear of disappointing others because I find that more often than not, I give people a little taste of who I am and they feel closer and safer with me. More often than not, I'm pleasantly surprised, but occasionally I do disappoint other people and that's okay. I build up my tolerance to disappointment as I Try to test the waters in little small steps. And then the fifth thing is to notice and care for guilt. Do your actions line up with your personal values? Not theirs, yours. If so, then your feelings of guilt are coming from subconscious codependent programming, not from your personal moral compass. Get curious about what subconscious beliefs are dictating the guilt. If you are living in alignment with your current values, if you're not causing harm, if you're showing up in a way that feels good to you, get curious about the guilt. My guess is that there's some codependent beliefs underneath there about your responsibility to care for other people's feelings or to fill up somebody else's sense of self-worth. And remember, someone else's self-worth is not your responsibility. You have a responsibility not to purposely tear down someone else's self-worth. You have a responsibility not to purposefully shame someone. You have a responsibility to treat people humanely, but you are not responsible for making someone else feel worthy about themselves. That is not your responsibility. As we wrap up, my challenge for you this week is to consider the cost. It was one of the most helpful things I did as I was learning to start living more in alignment with my own values and worrying less about disappointing others. What will this cost me over the next year, 10 years, or a lifetime? If I choose not to disappoint others at the expense of myself, What are going to be the mental costs, the emotional costs, and possibly the physical costs? And then go over to the Emancipate Yourself Facebook group. There is a Facebook post where you don't have to talk about what your decision is or what the cost is going to be, but on a scale of 1 to 10, tell me how great the cost is going to be for you. And if you have any insights about how that's changed the way you look at things, we would love to hear those as well. There's strength in numbers. We are all in the middle of learning how to live authentically. Sometimes just knowing other people are struggling with the same thing, 
that they've recognized what the cost is and what they've learned can give us that push we need to balance our desire to please others over ourselves. There is strength in numbers, and I would love to hear your perspective and to gain strength from what you'll add to the community. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next Sunday.